We didn't have a sense of when we told people that it was going to be all you can drink, what that really meant on the bottom line. And we didn't really have a sense of, uh, of when you do a conference in the middle of nowhere, three and a half hours from the closest big city, what that means when you have to start helping to arrange transportation for people. You're listening to Financial Grown Up with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of How to Be a Financial Grown Up. And you know what? Being a grown-up is really hard, especially when it comes to money, but it's okay. We're going to get there together. I'm going to bring you one money story from a financial grown-up, one lesson, and then my take on how you can make it your own. We got this. Yes, my friends, the bar tab can get pretty expensive, especially when you offer it unlimited all weekend long. And that was just the beginning for entrepreneurs Stephen Pulver and Daniel Levine when they started the Fireside Conference in Canada four years ago. The team wanted everything to be perfect for their first experience, but perfect does not come cheap. Lots of lessons and takeaways. Here are Stephen Pulver and Daniel Levine. Daniel Levine and Stephen Pulver, you are financial grownups. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having us. Pleasure to be here. You guys hold the honor of being the first team that I have had on. So this is going to be cool. We'll see how it goes. Thank you. We're looking forward to it. Hopefully no screw ups. We're we're looking forward to it. You guys are going to be great. All right. You are Canadian entrepreneurs and you are the brains behind a conference that I was very impressed by when I started learning about it, the Fireside Conference. It's happening for the fourth year in September up in Canada. You're also entrepreneurs yourselves. This is a conference for entrepreneurs. You are entrepreneurs. Your company is Minutebox, which is cloud-based software basically for law firms to help them be compliant with, with the various regulations, I guess, in Canada. But the conference is really the focus that I want to talk about here because that's what your money story is about. So tell us what happened. This is year four. I want to hear what happened in the first year because I think it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs and just people that have ideas about starting businesses or just managing their own finances will relate to and hopefully learn from. For sure. It starts in 2014 when Fireside itself was born. And just for your listeners to take just a a 30-second overview of what Fireside is and how it differs from a a traditional conference. So Fireside at its core is an invite-only retreat for entrepreneurs, founders, investors, influencers from all over the world uh, that we invite up to a summer camp every September. We started our first official year in 2015. Daniel and I were looking around our community and saying there's a lot of great networking events. There's a lot of great events and things to bring the community together. But the biggest failure they all had was the inability to really bring people together on a way deeper level than just meeting in a conference hall. So we kind of said there's got to be a better venue that we can do a conference or an event at. And we landed on this amazing summer camp where children are there all summer as a, as a sleepover camp outside Bancroft, Ontario, Canada. And you have a personal connection, right? You have a personal connection to the camp. Yeah. So I spent 24 years there as both a camper and staff and worked my way all the way up from counselor to head staff and eventually leadership team and helped run a lot of the programming. So I was obviously incredibly biased. Daniel actually had attended Camp Walden as well as a staff. So when we were looking at venues, we were obviously both biased in knowing this was an amazing place to do this at. We had no video or photos of Fireside itself. When we were trying to market and spend money on ads and things like that, we literally had no real starting point. So because of that, 
everything we were doing, we were fresh into. So we were throwing a lot of stuff at the wall as we continue to do today to see what would stick. Had you done any market research or anything? What was your background that made you qualified to do this? Uh, I think we would be completely foolish to say now that we had any form of subject matter expertise in running events other than wanting to do something amazing. Where was your funding coming from? Did you have a budget? How did this come together from a financial perspective? So in our first year, from a financial perspective, it really came together very loosely and in an unstructured way. And to hopefully not to ruin the story, but that's how we found ourselves about $30,000 in debt at the end of it. We looked at pricing and we weren't looking at pricing as a factor of break even. We weren't looking at it as a function necessarily of our costs. We really went into this with an if you build it, they will come attitude and really not having pedigrees in the areas of conferences or event management. We didn't have a sense of when we told people that it was going to be all you can drink, what that really meant on the bottom line. And we didn't really have a sense of, uh, of when you do a conference in the middle of nowhere, three and a half hours from the closest big city, what that means when you have to start helping to arrange transportation for people. So it really was, it was both a combination of not having a budget, but also really just, as you put it, not having any qualifications for doing something like this. That had us at the end of an, a really a magical two and a half days turn to each other and, and realize that we really were not in a good financial position. So what did you spend? Give me some of the numbers. What did you spend on the conference and where and what was your revenue that you did have? Back then, I should say our only revenue source was tickets. So our tickets were three, damn, what was it? Three to $500 range. Yeah. Let's say give or take 350 to 400 on average in, in terms of ticket price. That was really our main source of revenue. We had a little bit of sponsorship at the time. But when we're talking about money coming in the door, we're really looking in the twenty dollars to $30,000 range of, of just pure revenue. Now, there's a lot of costs involved. So, of course, things are completely dependent on the number of people we have enter the gates of camp. So, back then, we were about 75 people. Now we're around 400. So obviously that has changed quite a bit. But back then, alcohol was a huge cost. Swag, wanting to give people, you know, for instance, under that swag category, we'd put whether it be water bottles or toques or pieces like that. Uh, food, obviously, is a huge piece. Those were kind of the big, big, big costs. And when Dan and I looked at this and we said, we want to create an amazing event, we didn't have budget in mind. And that certainly doesn't mean we had an unlimited budget. But we were never going to sacrifice the quality of, say, the food or the amount of food or the amount of alcohol or the amount of drinks or whatever it might be on account of our budget in that first year. We didn't really know where we were going with it, but we kind of both said we're either in or we're not. And once we kind of made that decision to go ahead, the budget kind of, unfortunately, looking back, it was really non-existent. So where did you get the money from, the negative $30,000? Was it borrowed? Were you, were you putting it on credit cards? Yeah, so that was coming from our personal capital. Uh, Stephen and I, uh, we certainly didn't have $30,000 to blow away, but we were fortunate to have some savings. And uh, it, we're, we're very thankful for the support of our significant others who saw that big bill come in at the end of the day and, and said that they had faith in us to really build something fantastic. And the only reason we were able to swallow such a hit in our first year was that we had a long-term view. There's at least one component of that long-term view, if not two, that are, were important to informing our decisions. One was 
We knew we wanted to go larger than 60 or 75 people. We always thought we'd be in the three to 400 person range. Knowing that, we also knew that our fixed costs were high and our variable costs were quite low. So that actually was a huge point of leverage for us to look towards in future years, knowing that if we were able to focus on growing our membership and attendee base, that would end up covering our fixed costs. And since our variable costs are quite low, it wouldn't be linear and proportional such that a 60-person conference would see us lose a similar amount of money as we would see in a 400-person conference. We always knew that if we grew enough, in future years, we would be able to cover that. Okay, so what did you do then in year two? And what is the lesson for our listeners? Yeah, so two key things. One was stay on the trajectory that we were on with our original vision. So we we had to have faith in the fact, and quite honestly, we could look to the spreadsheets to prove it, but we had faith in the fact that if we grew from 60 or 70 to 285, which is what we were in our second year, we would exceed those fixed costs. Which is phenomenal growth, by the way. It was. <laughs> That's amazing. And that, well, and that was something that we didn't, really didn't expect. But because we made that huge investment in the first year and put on a fantastic program, what happened on the Sunday when we came back into the city and got cell phone reception again is our emails were filled not just with responses from attendees, but from friends and friends of attendees who saw them tweeting and Instagramming about it and saying, how do I get an invite? How do I get involved? And so we were able to leverage a, a really amazing product into a very big growth year into our second year. And so that was a very large component of being able to recoup things in our second year. But the other the other big factor was we need more revenue streams. Because we knew we were going to grow, we knew we could also go after revenue streams at 285 that we couldn't go after at 60 or 70 people. So for example, sponsorship. Uh, that was a brand new door that opened for us. And even though 285 is, let's say, relatively small in the conference business where you might have conferences with 10 or 20,000 people, we could now go to major brands and major companies and say, we have 285 highly curated people that are industry leaders, top entrepreneurs, top individuals. We are going to give you an opportunity to do very deep and impactful experiential marketing activations with them. And as a result, these brands saw a lot of value and in turn, sponsorship dollars started coming in, which supplemented the revenue that we were receiving through ticket sales. Well, and I think that's an important lesson for our listeners that you weren't just taking a check from anyone. Once you were in year two, you were able to have that history of the content that people wanted and the experience people wanted. And you could select and curate, as you say, the 285 people. So it wasn't just any 285 people. It was people that really had value to the potential sponsors. Precisely. And that's magnetized quite a bit over the years. And we've really seen an exponential growth in the inbound request to join us. So whereas in our first year, we were going out and selecting each of us 30 or so people from our networks to to really beg to come up and, and experience this with us, we're now going to receive over 4,000 applications from people all over the world to be one of 400 people to come and join us this September. Well, that's amazing. Congratulations. I want to move from there to our everyday money tip because that also has to do with something that you do that other people can emulate that was at first a misstep and then you found the right way to do it and it's working for you. At the start of this new year in 2018, we said we would start doing dinners. So we basically hand-selected both current attendees who are attending for, for the first time this September in 2018 alumni, other people in the community that we wanted to join us, and we'd have dinners, uh, and we would invite people to nice restaurants, certainly not over-the-top fancy restaurants, but but nice restaurants here in Toronto and 
We did a few in Boston and Chicago and other places. And we would basically bring people together for, for a night of, of eating and drinking and just uh, a good time connecting people. That's expensive, though. Yeah. So we found out very quickly that that's very expensive. And that was built into our budget. We knew from the beginning we'd spend, you know, maybe $2,000 a dinner. And we built that in that we were going to do a few of these. So we had earmarked that and we knew we were going to do it. But after a few dinners, we we kind of realized, you know, this is getting expensive despite us being ready for that expense. But it wasn't really us. You know, we we love the fact that we were connecting with people and, and having great meals and, and great conversation. But at one point, Daniel actually turned to me and said, why don't we just do a few barbecues? Do you think maybe we could do it at your house? And I'd said, absolutely, we can we can do that. And next thing you know, we got the barbecue already and went to our favorite butcher shop and, and got burgers and basically created a barbecue kit that we're I'm actually staring at in my living room right now. We're about to host a barbecue in, in an hour or so from now. And we said, we can do barbecues. We can do five or six of these a month at a cost of maybe $200 a barbecue max and bring amazing people together and have the flexibility to like not spend a lot of money, but actually get a way more bang for our buck. And that's something a lot of people should take to heart because we sometimes get so busy trying to impress other people. And in fact, it's often more impressive to bring someone to your home. It certainly creates a different kind of bond, a more special and more personal bond. And it is more budget friendly. Right. And I think it really does go to our core too, right? As both individuals and as a business where we want to connect with people in this kind of way, as opposed to some hoity-toity kind of restaurant that is just fundamentally not us. Right. So it is on brand, as they say. And speaking of that, so you've got conference number four this September. Yeah, we now have a hard cap at 400 attendees, particularly because for us, community and authentic relationship is super important to us. We're going to have incredible folks like Jordan Harbinger from the Jordan Harbinger Show and Jason Calacanis, who is one of the most world-renowned angel investors coming and joining us for the weekend disconnecting from technology up at summer camp, sitting around the fire pit, sharing stories about business and growth and leadership and uh, going water skiing and rock climbing while we're at it. Sounds amazing. All right. Where can people find out more if you even have any spots or get on the wait list for next year? So we have just opened up our final 50 application spots. Uh, those are now officially open for application. So there is still room available to apply. And I would encourage any of your amazing listeners to visit firesideconf.com, as in conference. We are always there as well. You'll see a little chat bubble. You can say hi to us and ask us any questions, or you can feel free to apply and just let us know that you're coming from this podcast and you'll immediately jump to the top of the line. Wonderful. Thank you both. Our pleasure. Thank you. Hey friends, so many lessons here. Financial grown-up tip number one. Let's start with the guy's everyday money tip because that hits close to home. Don't assume you have to spend a ton of money to impress wealthy and successful people. The thing is, fancy people aren't impressed with fancy. There's a scene in a new show called Succession that I've been watching where a character is trying to impress his future father-in-law, who is very wealthy. So he spends a crazy amount of money on a watch. But when he gives it to the man as a gift... He's trying to impress him, remember? The fact is, he is barely acknowledged. And in fact, the very wealthy future father-in-law later gives it away without much of a thought. Watching it was pretty sad. 
Unfortunately, there is some reality to that. Rich people don't need another fancy meal. Once Stephen and Daniel realized this and started hosting barbecues at their own homes, they had a much better time connecting with the people that they wanted to impress. I mean, their conference is at a camp. That's who they are. They're real, they're down to earth, and they want to connect to their people in that way. It's refreshing. Not everything has to be at a five-star hotel or restaurant. Financial grown-up tip number two. While the Fireside Conference lost about $30,000 the first year, because it was self-financed, the founders remained in control and did not face pressure from outside investors. Early-stage businesses that can avoid taking outside investors retain control, something Daniel and Stephen seem very happy about. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend or share on social media. On Twitter, I am at Bobby Rebel, on Instagram at Bobby Rebel One, and on Facebook at Bobby Rebel. And please subscribe if you have not already so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Thank you to Stephen and Daniel for your candor and openness about the challenges and rewards of starting such an ambitious conference. I'm looking forward to watching the Fireside Conference continue to grow. So thank you, gentlemen, for helping us all get one step closer to being financial grown-ups. Financial Grown-Up with Bobby Rebel is edited and produced by Steve Stewart and is a BRK Media production.